Hi, mummers. Today's episode is an interview I did with Ashley Winning from the VBAC Home Birth Stories podcast, which I'm going to share here discussing all three of my birth stories. Enjoy. Hey, mama, I'm sending you wonderful pregnancy vibes. It's time for you to guide you through. Let's take some time for you. It's pregnancy with Physiola. Hello, mamas, and welcome back to the Pregnancy with Physiolaura podcast. Today, I am sharing an interview I did on someone else's podcast. So, I was invited to share my three birth stories with the lovely Ashley over at the VBAC Home Birth Stories podcast. Ashley has kindly let me share it on this platform in case any of you missed it. And I think it's a really good way if you've only just stumbled into the vortex that is me and you didn't know my backstory or my birth stories, I think it gives you a really good understanding of who I am and the journey I've been on and what has led me to the work that I do now. So it's a really beautiful interview with Ashley. I share all three of my birth stories, which were an emergency cesarean, a planned cesarean, and then a VBAC home birth. And I share about my perspective now five years down the track. So my first child is now five. My second is three. My third is, oh my God, almost two years old, which is crazy. So I have this really beautiful bird's eye perspective of it now. I'm not thick in the emotions of it all. I can speak to it from a really healthy perspective now where I've learned all the lessons that I wanted to learn. And I speak about the system and how I don't blame the system or the obstetricians or whoever it was. I could sit there in victim mode and blame them for why I didn't get the outcomes or the way I wanted it to work. But I trust that everything happened for a reason. I had the most beautiful birth experience. And I just acknowledge where the system is weak and where it is strong. And I choose what feels best for me. So I talk a little bit about that. And I think a lot of you will really resonate with my message around that because I don't want women to feel like victims to their birth environment. I want them to feel empowered around choice and informed consent and body sovereignty and all those things. So I really hope you love this interview. If you want to connect with Ashley or her podcast, I'll put everything in the show notes below. And as always, come on over to at PhysioLaura and let me know if you love this episode and maybe what you got out of it. If you have any follow-up questions, I'm always keen to chat to people in my DMs. So enjoy. Hello and welcome back to another episode. I am really excited to share with you today a story. I won't be sharing it, but I've got beautiful Laura on sharing her birth stories with us today. Welcome to the podcast, Laura. Thank you, Ashley. I'm excited to dig back into the archives and remember them all. (laughs) Yes, it gets a bit like that once you've had a couple and you get onto your third one. Yes, definitely. (laughs) So welcome. Let us know a little bit about you. So I'm Laura. I'm a mum to three. They're aged almost five, three and 18 months now. I live by the beach, so our life is very much outdoors, surfing by the water. It's really beautiful. And I'm a women's health physio, so I work with pregnant women and postpartum women in the physio and birthing space, which is just an epic job to have. I love it so much. So yeah, that probably sums me up. (laughs) That's good. And it's good that you love it so much as well, because I think you have to be passionate about what you're doing, especially working in this space. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I've always loved it, but I think I love it even more now that I've had my own experiences with my own children and my own journeys that way. I have so much more love and 
passion and compassion for the women I work with as well. That's exciting. And I'm also asked Laura to join us next year as well to be an expert and share some of her amazing physio tips with us because I haven't had a physio on the podcast before and I have been dying to pick someone's brains. (laughs) I'm all up for it. Let's do it. (laughs) Awesome. So whereabouts are you based then, Laura? On the surf coast in Victoria. Oh, okay. Surf coast, Victoria. I'm not sure if you said that before, so excuse me if you did. No, Um, okay. Also, let's just start with where you were with your first pregnancy and we'll go forth from there. Yeah, as in my mind space or my location or yeah, all of that. Basically, let us know, were you planning conception or was this a surprise pregnancy yeah. for you? So we were planning to conceive. We had two miscarriages before my first, which were pretty devastating at the time. I didn't know that was even a thing. I didn't know it was so common. So yeah, it was pretty hard to manage that and then to not have any faith or confidence that these things were going to stick. So I had booked in with an OB for my first pregnancy, which ended in miscarriage. And I ended up seeing him when I miscarried at seven weeks and he was so beautiful. So I decided to stick with him for when I did fall pregnant and it stuck. So that's how I guess I picked my care for that. And yeah, it was really beautiful to actually be pregnant beyond seven or eight weeks. And there was definitely a lot of anxiety still. And we didn't feel like we were ready to celebrate it until we saw that good 12-week scan with the heartbeat and everything looking really normal. I finally felt like I could exhale and enjoy it and share it. So we didn't share it with our family and friends till that 12-week mark either, just because we were so nervous about how this was going to end because of those two false starts. So yes, definitely very much a planned baby, just a little bit later than we expected. So you plan to got an obstetrician on your team, felt really comfortable with your obstetrician. And then what was your plans for your birth? What were you thinking at this point in time? Did you have plans? Yeah, ish. If I look back on it now, I would think, oh my God, I had hardly any plans. But at the time I felt like I had pretty good plans. So I picked my OB based on some reviews I'd heard from clients I was treating who had said that this you know, obstetrician was really big into like natural birth and supporting women to have yeah, like low intervention births and things like that. And I think I had planned on having a vaginal birth and yeah, a natural birth. But when I really think back to it, I don't think I actually put a lot of effort into how I wanted my birth to go. I actually think I was very passive and very go with the flow and I wasn't super intentional. So whilst yes, I I didn't go in wanting anything other than a natural vaginal birth. I also didn't really have like strengths about my conviction towards that goal. Do you know what I mean? I was really quite just like, oh yeah, I'm just going along, very passive player, I guess, in my pregnancy and birth journey. So very different to how I am now, but obviously the journey I needed to go on. So I was teaching active birth classes as a physiotherapist, so I felt like I had a pretty good idea of the birthing process and what to expect, but I was still very naive in so many regards. So I probably was quite naive in terms of interventions and what they mean. I was probably clued up more on like how to breathe through a contraction and that's about it. So yeah, my plan was to have a vaginal birth. And do you feel that those classes and positions and that maybe gave you confidence as well because you had all of the, you were 
teaching people different birth positions, did it give you some sort of confidence that I've got this in the bag or you, how were you feeling like in that regard? Was it, were you ever worried about having a C-section or in your mind were you kind of, that's not going to happen for me? I felt like I'd been an athlete my whole life. So I felt like I was a strong, fit, healthy woman. I taught active birth. So I felt like I was going to do a good job of it because I was fit and healthy and like I deal with discomfort and pain and things like that. And I thought, that's good. Like I, I can get through this. I can, I can do labor and birth, but not really having a good understanding of probably the mental side of it. I was probably more thinking from the physical point of view. And he's saying that I actually didn't really look after myself very well physically during that pregnancy either. That was probably my most unhealthy pregnancy. I wasn't really like careful or mindful of what I was eating. In fact, I was kind of using it as an excuse to like eat whatever I wanted. I was just like, I'm pregnant. I can eat all the things. I probably wasn't in my most healthy state physically anyway, which is yeah, which is something I definitely didn't repeat for the next two children. (laughs) I learned my lesson from that, but. Yeah, I definitely did have confidence that I knew the things from doing the active birth classes. Yeah, but again, it's hard because right at the time I would have said, yeah, I'm confident. But now I reflect back and I think I didn't have a lot of confidence at all. I think I had a lot of like theory, but not true personal power and confidence, which I think is really important. It's one thing to know theory, but it's another thing to really embody that trust in your body and that power and that strength from within. So I don't think I really had that. In terms of whether I had considered having a C-section, I genuinely don't feel like it passed my mind until we were talking about it in the very, very late stages. I'm talking like at the birth. I don't think I'd really considered that was an option because I was a fit, young, healthy woman, straightforward pregnancy, no risk factors. So I just don't think I ever thought about it. I wasn't like, I want to avoid a C-section at all costs. I just didn't think about it. So you went through your pregnancy pretty healthy, pretty fit, pretty active. So there were no complications through your pregnancy? No, I was super straightforward. I think the only thing, which is not a complication, but I think I tested positive for the GBS swab. So that was like the only thing that ever popped up as abnormal, but everything else is, yeah, no diabetes. Like, again, I wasn't in my physical best shape, but I was still fit and healthy and well. So yeah, everything was smooth sailing. And you felt, did you feel supported by your obstetrician? Like I hear a lot of the time... Some women have a great rapport with their obstetrician throughout the pregnancy, get plenty of scans and the support that they feel that they need. How did you feel with your relationship with your obstetrician and what were some of the conversations that were happening in the lead up to birth? Yeah, I felt really supported with my obstetrician. I, yeah, I felt like everything was on track for a vaginal birth and I, yeah, had good rapport, easy to chat to. I felt fairly comfortable in his presence and all of that jazz. There definitely was no like red flags in my pregnancy where I was like, oh God, this person is awful or they're not listening to me or whatever. Yeah, I felt like we had really good rapport. I think in hindsight, when I reflect back, and this is always one of those awkward ones because you're trying to tell the story in real time, but then you obviously (laughs) have a lot of reflections five years on. In hindsight, it really was just that the version of Laura that presented herself was just a very different version to who I am now. So there was a lot of questions I didn't ask. There was a lot of conversations I didn't have. And it would be interesting to know, you can't rewind history, but how they would have been perceived and how they would have been taken on from my obstetrician's point of view. But I wasn't asking them. I wasn't really questioning things. I was just going with the flow. But for the most part, yep, 
really good rapport, really good open conversation. And there was never any talk of like interventions or anything like that until the final month, really. So everything was just smooth sailing in and out, check, yep, doing well. We were doing lots of things like the epino and whatnot to make sure that it would reduce my chance of tearing in birth. And I was suggested to do a calm birth course. I felt like my doing Sorry, the epinode. Are you the epinode for perineal stretching? Have you heard of it? No, I've never heard of it. So it's like a balloon type device you put in the vagina and you inflate it and it stretches the perineum. So it's like a different version of perineal massage. Uh, it's like a whole thing. Was the obstetrician doing this or was this a physio no. thing? So you do it yourself. And it's not just okay. for physios. It was just for anyone interested in preparing their perineum for birth to reduce your chance of tearing. Oh. Look, the evidence is not really out on whether it's good, bad, effective or not. But my obstetrician just had felt anecdotally like it was really helpful. But I felt he had suggested that. He'd suggested the calm birth courses, all of that. So like everything was pointing in the right direction for sure. Mm. Okay. So what kind of happened? Let us know about your birth. What happened to lead yeah. up to it and how it all went down? So I was measuring really big. I was getting the classic, oh, you're having twins. and You're having an elephant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I was getting some extra growth scans towards the end of pregnancy and things were showing 90 plus percentile for baby's growth. And I didn't know any different, like I'd never had a baby before. So turns out I just carry fairly big babies or bigger than the average and so I was like, okay, cool. I don't know what this means, but whatever. I've got a big baby. I've got a big tummy. I'm sure it makes sense. And so then the chat of induction kept coming up because the idea was that if I had a big baby, my, my risk of needing a cesarean or needing having a perineal tear or needing assistance to deliver like shoulder dystocia or obstruction, all of that sort of stuff, that sort of chat started happening. And obviously no mother wants to go down any of those pathways because you're like, no, I don't want my pelvic floor to be ruined. I don't want my baby to be in harm's way. So yeah, we had a chat about induction. And to be honest, I don't remember, unless my memory is totally clouded, but I don't remember really objecting to it. I remember thinking, oh yeah, it would be nice to go into natural labor. Like I'd I'd like to know what that feels like. But at the end of the day, I don't think I really was like funny about induction. I was like, oh, cool. Okay. I'll just go in and get induced because I don't want this baby to get too big and not come out of my pelvis. So I'd also had my sister-in-law give birth with a very smooth induction. So I think I had that as like my main, I didn't really know a lot of birth stories outside of that. So I had her story as, oh, sweet. You go in, you get the gel, the following day you have a baby. Hers was pretty straightforward. So I don't think I had any fear around inductions either. So I went in, I got induced, I had the gel, went out, had my final dinner hurrah with my parents and my husband and it was all great and I was, I think I was excited. Like I was maybe a little bit nervous but mostly excited because I, again, my sister-in-law had the same thing and by 8am the next day she'd had a baby. So I was like, oh my God, I'm going to meet my kid tomorrow. This is so cool. Anyway, I started contracting, but it was really mild. So they send you home with some Panadol and I went to bed and I was pretty giddy because I was like, oh my God, am I going to sleep or what's going to happen? And disappointingly, I slept. And so I woke up and went, oh, obviously didn't have a baby. Have to go back <laughs> to the hospital and see what's going on. So I think I was a little bit disappointed because I was like, oh, what does this mean now? I'm not contracting. I feel fine. Like, how do we get this baby out? What, what happens? I was so not clued up on the induction process. So. We went back to the hospital and then I pretty much spent the whole day at the hospital. They gave me maybe some more gel 
And they pretty much just told me to keep walking. So I walked for three hours with like my Birkenstocks on, heavily pregnant, because <laughs> I just did not plan for that. So I was like waddling around the city in Melbourne, awkwardly. The hospital though, that's the first. I've never heard of anyone being released from hospital. Yeah. So I didn't know. Again, I wasn't clued up, but yeah, because it was I, like nothing was happening. I think they probably weren't worried that I was going to break my waters and have a baby anytime soon. Yeah, like we went and had lunch at a cafe. I remember like sitting awkwardly on my chair and my husband's, oh my God, this lunch is so delicious. And I'm like, dude, I am so uncomfortable right now. I don't want to be here because I was having contractions then. I was really uncomfortable. I just wanted to stand up and walk around. We'd walk in the park and I'd have to stop. I've got these photos of my husband massaging a spiky ball in the park onto my pelvis because like I was pretty uncomfortable but I wasn't now that I know what labor feels like I wasn't like I couldn't not talk or anything I was quite comfortable still to continue on conversations and whatnot I was just yeah I was just comfortable being full pregnant is it (laughs) having to go out and do all these things when you just want to be laying at home doing nothing probably yeah yeah Correct. And I think there's also that added pressure of, ah, oh, is this labor? Is this not labor? What does it mean when I get back to the hospital and they check me again? And essentially what happened is every time I went back to get checked, the story was your cervix is tight, high, closed, shut, not participating in this excursion at all. And it was really disheartening because I was like, ah, oh, why? What's wrong with my body? Why is it not opening? Like I thought this was meant to work. And Yeah. And I was just, again, I probably hadn't entertained the idea of a C-section because I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like just one step in front of the other, but essentially got to late at night. So five or six o'clock and I had been doing this process for 24 hours by now. And my cervix was just shut tight, fixed. It just was like, no, Laura, we're not doing this. Also note, I was like 38 plus six, I think. So Now that I recognize, and when I get to my third birth story, you'll hear that I'm a bit of a longer gestator. So I think my body was just saying, no girl, like this is way too early for you. You are so not ready to have a baby. And so again, I didn't know that at the time. And the conversation then started to be had around, look, you can go home and wait this out and just see how you go. But from memory, that wasn't really posed as like a good option, even though it was an option. It wasn't really posed as like the best option versus we can take you and have a C-section because I think the reasoning was like, look, your body is not cooperating right now. Like this baby's getting really big. We want it to get it out safely. Also note that I think we weren't talking about any further induction methods, i.e. breaking my waters or trying to open my cervix or put the syntocin on or anything like that. Because my obstetrician could recognize my body was just not responding. And so all of those actions, they were probably just going to lead to an emergency C-section anyway. And I'm really grateful because I've heard so many stories of women who were kind of venting like me where their body just wasn't responding, but then the induction methods just kept ramping up. And then they just had this quite awful, intensive labor that ended in emergency C-section. And I just think that would have probably caused me a lot more trauma than I would have cared to dealt with. So yeah, I, I guess through a lot of tears and what's the right thing to do? I don't know. I just want a healthy baby and I just want to make the right decision. We agreed to have a cesarean section. So whilst on paper, it's an emergency C-section, I walked into theater. I like, I was bawling my eyes out the whole time. People were like, are you okay? It's like I'd been the first person to cry on their way to a C-section. But you I just have couldn't. Not, you were not. 
<laughs> no. <laughs> I was just like a hubba blubbering mess. And I think it was a mix of everything. It was like not knowing whether I was making a good decision because like everything felt a bit rushed. Like I'd come in to have my baby and I think the thought of just going home felt really odd and I just was really confused. I was also like mixed emotions because I was like, oh, I'm actually going to meet my baby in 15 minutes. This is wild. Oh my God, I'm, I don't know how I feel about this. So there was just a lot of emotions, a lot of crying. And I had a cesarean section. I met my wonderful little boy. And yeah, I think it was not at all what I expected and not at all what I quote unquote planned for. But for the most part, I feel like I had a pretty positive experience. Like I didn't walk away from that birth feeling like I had trauma or dissatisfaction or anything like that at the time. In hindsight, I think I look back and I think I probably did because I was really motivated for a VBAC second time round. Like I obviously still had this niggle inside of me, which was like, oh, no, this could be better, Laura. This could be so much better. So that's kind of the wrap up of my first birth. How big was your baby boy? 4.1 kilos. He was 4.1 kilos. Yeah. That's good to know. I like writing these down. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So with your second baby, you went in knowing that you wanted to have a VBAC and let us know about the conception and then your pregnancy journey with that one and the choices you made leading up to planning your VBAC. After I had my son, the, talk, the talks with the obstetrician were all about, yep, VBAC is totally on the cards for next baby. That was discussed like before I'd even been discharged because obviously I was pretty keen to know about that. And so we wanted to have babies really close together. So as soon as I got my cycle back at seven months, we pretty much started trying. Even though I knew technically you meant to wait a little bit for C-sections and whatnot, I was like, you know what, this will be fine. Anyway, it took a couple of months and then I did conceive. So my children are all about 20 months apart. So the math on that, I was probably pregnant by 11 postpartum, post-C-section. So very intentional conception, took a couple of cycles and then fell pregnant straight away, which I felt really lucky for. And I had no anxiety around miscarriages this time. I had a really strong knowing that like this was fine and everything was fine. So it was really interesting that didn't come up again for me. This pregnancy, I was much fitter than I was my first pregnancy. And I was much more aware that like I was going to try and do things a bit different. So I very much looked after myself physically. I was exercising better. I was eating better. I was sleeping better. I was like, yeah, just making sure that like from a physical point of view, I was just really making sure I looked after myself. I was also doing some different things this time compared to the first time. So I did a hypnobirthing. I read a book on hypnobirthing and I downloaded some audio tracks. I was trying to tune in with, I guess, a little bit more of the mindful, spiritual side of birthing, which I didn't really nail the first time around or was not really interested in the first time around. That's probably what I did differently for this time with my second pregnancy. And from a care point of view, I went with the same obstetrician. He was like VBAC, VBAC the entire way. I probably asked a few more questions this time. Like I wasn't keen on getting induced and also he wasn't too keen on doing certain induction methods. So I think they only like to do mechanical inductions, not hormonal inductions after a previous Caesar, just so that they don't load the scar up. So everything was working in my favor to go, yeah, VBAC, Baby wasn't measuring as big, so there definitely wasn't those concerns about, oh, baby's measuring big. In saying that, baby wasn't small, like it was still on the bigger side, but I also think we'd had a discussion that like, you know what, let's, regardless of baby size, I want to keep pursuing this. So 
I wasn't willing to get induced early because of baby size. Like I think I felt much more confident around baby size this time. So pregnancy was smooth sailing. Yep. Like literally nothing was remarkable. I have the most boring pregnancies, which touch wood is a real blessing. And then we got to 40 weeks and I was still pregnant. And then obviously the chat starts to happen around, you can't be pregnant forever and we need to get this baby out at some stage. And this is where I really started to find it really challenging. Going overdue is like a whole new mental game, right? Because there's so much pressure from society to tell us that every day over 40, you are overdue, which is not true. And so there's a lot of things you have to work through. There's a lot of people throwing like stillbirth in your face and like the risk of that is increasing. And They make it sound really alarming and really fearful. And I had to really sit with that and be like, whoa, okay, let's just be reasonable here. What's going on? And what we had said, I was trying everything as well. I believe I was taking raspberry leaf tea and I was like, I was trying all the things to try and get this baby to come on its own because I really didn't want to have to go down the C-section or induction pathway. And from memory, I actually don't know if we were really talking about induction. I think we were mostly talking about repeat Caesar. If I got to a certain amount overdue that we'd just go straight to a Caesar rather than even bothering with induction. So we eventually got to an agreement that every time I would go, I was still overdue, whatnot. Nothing was really happening. My cervix was still saying high and tight and there was no opening whatsoever, which was really disheartening for me because I started to then get the stories in my mind around why is my body broken? Why is my body not working? What's wrong with me? Is it because my pelvis is too small. My baby's head's never engaged either. So I started having this story that like, oh, my babies can't engage because my pelvis is too small and they can't engage to dilate my cervix. That's why this isn't working. And I come from a lineage of my mother had three C-sections and her mother had a C-section. And so I just started telling myself, that's just my story. That's what my maternal lineage is all about. Like maybe our pelvises aren't big. And yeah, that was a really big story that started to play out then. We agreed that at 40 plus nine, if nothing had happened, I would go in to have a repeat Caesar. So at this stage, nothing had happened. I was getting some intense lightning crutch, but that's about it. And again, interestingly, I told myself a story with the lightning crutch because no one else seemed to get it the way I got it. So I would explain it to women and it was like it would catch my breath. I'd have to hold on to something like I couldn't walk. I couldn't do anything. It was like this intense, but it felt like a pathological pain. It didn't feel like how people describe labor, which was like a cramping. And I just started telling myself a story that obviously that's because the baby's head's too big and it's pressing on the wrong part of my pelvis. And again, this just played into this belief I had that my body wasn't quite made for it. And it's no surprise, Laura, when you think that they're like they're circling into this actual moment and they're saying these things, like they're talking to you about all the risks, but they're not showing the other flip side of the coin and talking about the benefits and talking about like how big the risk is and what could actually happen and what could actually not happen and how many women actually go over term if they were to provide all of the evidence and information rather than just giving you a biased view prejudicial view to get you down the path to ultimately do what they feel is potentially the safest thing or what they're more comfortable with at the Mm. end of the day as well, which I feel is a bit of an injustice at the end of the day. I feel like they're robbing so many women and then spiraling them, their mindset at the end of the day. I felt like this as well through, it started for me a lot earlier than you. I would say you're very lucky that you got to that stage, but I don't think it should happen to anyone. (laughs) 
I feel like we should have the love and support and guidance mm-hmm. and information so we can make our own choices and we can be in control and drive the ship. Mm-hmm. And that there's no true fear. It's just this is what could happen. These are all the things. Pick your poison. We don't yeah. know what's going to happen. Yeah. You decide sort of thing. I definitely yeah. feel in hindsight that I didn't have a lot of information that I say have now. Yeah. And I also think, and this is where I guess my passion has been created, is that I didn't know what questions to ask. So I think it's hard from an obstetrician point of view because I think, like you said, they just want a healthy baby, healthy mum. That is their baseline. They don't want you to be putting yourself at risk because they don't want that on their hands. Of course not. I totally empathize with that. What I've come to recognize is that we as women need to be empowered. And that's tricky because we don't know where to start, right? We're like, we don't know what to ask. We don't know where to source this information for ourselves. So we trust our care providers to do that for us. But they can't give us everything we need because they're only going to be able to give us their small piece of the pie that they know. Thinking about risk, they're thinking about conservative management. They're not thinking necessarily about the mental processing of having a birth that doesn't go the way you want it or not feeling heard or seen or supported. And I guess they can't hold all of that for us. So I feel like that's where I didn't know how to hold that for myself. I didn't know how to ask questions. I didn't know how to advocate for myself because that was just my nature. And I've done a 360 and I've had to learn those lessons. And now my passion is to help women feel empowered so that they can step up and be like, no, I don't want that. Or no, I'm not willing to do that. Or even to know that they can say no. That was a revelation to me. I didn't know I could say no, which is crazy. It's just because it's like societal conditioning, I think, about being a good girl and a people pleaser and all of those things. It runs really deep. But I think that so much of it is about helping women to be much more empowered when they walk into that birth space and to give them that information or at least some more resources outside of maybe just the the small slice of information they're getting from their care provider. Give them lots of information, then let them pick what feels really good for them. So that's where my passion has gone. But we've sidetracked. <laughs> yeah, no, I like, obviously I do exactly the same thing, but I also feel, and I've heard other people speak about this and it's like, Why do we have to become the experts? That's where I'm at with all of this at this point in time. I find unless you, like I hire a plumber, for example, but how do I know he's not going to root me off? Mm. Unless I know everything, right? I hire a a car mechanic. I hired a car mechanic and he said the last car mechanic didn't do the proper job. I don't know anything. So I've had to learn about bloody cars. I have to become a birth expert. So that I can advocate so nobody rips me off or tells me that at what point will an industry take responsibility for, I like, this is a total different danger and maybe we'll talk more about this on the expert channel, but yeah. at what point are they going to take responsibility and not just cop out of this is all I do? Because mm-hmm. we're dealing with humans, we're not dealing with robots and mm-hmm. live in such an industrialized non-empathetic, non-human sort of, why don't we care about those things? Why don't we care about a woman's mental health or how she's going to raise her child or the fact that we've got one of the highest rates of depression and all of these things happening in our country and the knock-on effects from all of those things. And it is a mammoth thing. So I think we can talk about more about this in our expert session, but I really don't like overloading women and making them feel like they have to become the expert and learn the language and talk but that's what you have to do if you go in the system unfortunately which I'm sure will unfold as to why you've chosen where you ended up birthing the next time it makes it hard for a people pleaser or a passive person 
or I'm a people pleaser going into the system. It's hard. You want people to be on your side and be on your team and mm. you don't want to have to convince them or convert them. You want them to be part of the decision process and be a partnership and let's all skip and hold hands and have this amazing birth, exciting story. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't often feel like that, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's really tricky. I think, I think there's so many issues with the system. And I think people are becoming more and more aware of them. I know, we know our intervention rates are way too high. We know that people are being intervened with unnecessarily for non-medical reasons, really. And we know the cascade of interventions. But I think on the flip side, I think there's real issues with funding and staffing and bed shortages and all of these things that make the system what it is. And so I guess, and we're going to get to my third birth story in a second, but I guess that's what made me go. Yes, the system needs to be better, but there's also, that's where we have to own our story as well and go, we need to choose what is best for us. And whether that's working within the system and making it as good as possible with what we've got, or just going, you know what, that's not for me. Because my husband gives a really good analogy. It's if you take a problem to, I'm going to butcher this, but if you take a problem, (laughs) a bricklayer, they're going to want to fix it with bricks and mortar. If you take a problem to a carpenter, they're going to want to fix it with a hammer and a saw or whatever. I'm totally butchering this. So JA, if you're listening, I apologize, but you get what I'm saying. Like you take it to those professions, they're going to fix it with the tools they know how. You take it to an obstetrician, they're a surgeon at the end of the day. So they're going to utilize the tools that they have to help you. And their tools are surgery. That's what they're equipped at. They're good with surgery. If I needed surgery, I wouldn't go to a midwife. I'd go to an obstetrician. You want the best surgery there possibly is. Yeah. So I think it's about being able to step back as well and look at it. And again, this is hard. I hear what you're saying. The mental load for women is through the roof. But this is where I think if we can help each other as a sisterhood and pick the right care environment to start with, that's super important. Picking the right care provider for the sort of birth that you want. That's just like a whole other topic that we could talk about. But yeah. Anyway, let's save this conversation for another day. So many Fortunately, I, think <laughs> I stuck with, the, this is the VBAC home birth podcast. So yeah. most of the women listening aren't going to have to go into that environment or if it is, it's very sparingly. And most of them are choosing to have home births with midwives or on their own with a doula. So most of them across the board, but it is really good for them to get a bit of juicy insight into that as yeah. well, because a percentage of us do end up in the hospital system either before, during, or after anyway, like yeah. we can completely unhook from the system. Yeah, exactly. So you had your third baby and how big, so we haven't got to the third baby's birth, the second baby's birth yet, have we? No. So, so well, we're at 40 plus nine, we agreed to plus do nine, yeah. And I got to the night before and I still hadn't really had anything. So the day, oh, oh no, sorry. Yes, the day before we were traveling to Melbourne, I was now living in a different location. So it was a good couple of hours drive to get to the hospital. And so we'd booked a hotel in the city and we were going to enjoy our last night together as husband and wife before we welcomed baby number two. Mm. And so we went to the city and I was like, weirdly feeling these cramps and this like discomfort, but I kept it to myself because I was like, oh, this is nothing. I've got a C-section booked in tomorrow. Do not get your hopes up, Laura. But it was different to anything I'd ever felt. It was the period cramping that everyone spoke about. And that just gradually kept going throughout the night. So I'm having dinner with my husband and I said, look, I don't want to alarm you, but I'm actually, I think I'm having contractions. And he was like, what? 
serious? You've kept this to yourself all day. Oh my God, what does this mean? Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I was like, it's not a big deal. Let's just forget about it. Let's just see what happens. We've got all night. I'm booked in at 9am tomorrow morning. We went to watch a movie and I couldn't sit still in the movie theater. I was like wriggling around. And all I could think about was, what do I do? Do, do I have to make a call now? What do I do? I don't understand. This feels like something's happening. We went to the hotel. I lost my mucus plug or at least part of it. And I was like, oh my God, this is finally happening. Something's happening. I got so excited. I was like, oh my God, I think this could be it. The final hour I go into labor. I don't need to have my C-section. Yay. And what's interesting for the people pleaser Laura of 2019 is that the main thought running through my head as well was I've got to make a call because I don't want to put the staffing out if I cancel this C-section at 9am. And that's absurd. If someone told me that, I'd be like, girl, you do not need to worry about that. But that was the main thought running through my head mm-hmm. is that I wanted to call it early, whether I'm like having the C-section or not, because I just didn't want to put everyone out the last minute, 8.59, be like, nah, sorry guys, not having the C-section. Because I was aware that's seven to 10 staff members that all of a sudden have to be reworked. Anyway, absurd, I know, but that was the thing going through my head. So I called my obstetrician early in the morning. I think I got onto him via some secret hotline number or something. I had to like really, I had to call birth suite and they were like, you have to come in. And I was like, I don't want to come in because this is very early labor. And if I come in, I don't think you're going to let me go and I don't want to labor in hospital. I want to be comfortable. And they were like, yeah, you have to come in. If you come in, you have to stay. And I was like, yeah, no, thanks. So I eventually got onto my obstetrician and he was really comforting. And he was like, well, this sounds really good, Laura. This sounds really promising. Because I was like, please tell me after I've done this, that had been like 24 hours of contractions by then. Again, mild, but I didn't sleep at all that night. I should say that. Like I was wriggling around. I was timing them. They were really uncomfortable. And I was like, please tell me if after 24 hours, like there should be some change in my cervix. And he was like, look, I can't promise anything, but yeah, it should be like, this sounds really promising. And I was like, ah, hallelujah. Like finally it's happening. So we drove to the hospital, which is honestly like a five, 10 minute drive. And I could not sit in the chair. I was like, this is so uncomfortable. Oh my God, JA, stop going over speed bumps. So I was really hopeful when I got there that I was like, something is happening. Anyway, my obstetrician checked me, nothing. My cervix was closed, tight, shut, zero centimeters. And I was like, what the hell? Like, I don't understand this. My body, what is this? Is it pretending? Is it? And they ended up calling it, what do they call it? Spurious labor, which is essentially like false contractions, which is just so invalidating to someone that's just gone through 24 hours of real discomfort. Spurious labor. I've never heard of that either. Spurious labor. Spurious labor. I've heard of pre labor and. Yeah, spurious labor. So then it was not quite nine o'clock yet. And we went, look, you could keep going again, Laura, but look, 24 hours and nothing's happened. It wasn't looking like a good option to just keep going because literally nothing had changed. Or we can carry on with the C-section. And again, cue plenty of tears. I was like, let's just do the C-section because obviously my body is broken. Something is just something's not working. This is not how everybody else labors. It's not how everybody else. I was like, people go from one contraction to baby in six hours. And here I am 24 hours later, my body hasn't even dilated. Like, obviously it's not going to work. So I had my second (laughs) C-section. So that on paper was an elective C-section, despite the last minute, 24 hour turnaround of not being sure. And I vividly remember a midwife and she thought she was comforting me, but what she ended up doing was just adding to my belief system that I was broken. She said, don't worry, love, this baby was never coming out of your vagina. And I was like, 
How would she know that? That's so wrong. Duck with me because it turns out I had a lot of poor beliefs about my body post two cesarean sections Mm. about its ability to birth. And yeah, her thought just kept coming up in my mind when I was working through them. So yeah, I think we have to be very careful with our language because I think she genuinely was trying to be supportive. But that just really brought into, oh, cool, I'm broken. Something's wrong with my cervix and my vagina. These babies do not want to come out that way. On top of your history with your mum and that sort of thing, it really can muck with your confidence because True. confidence comes from experience. And so your, your experience is not giving you the confidence for that future. Yeah. So how big was this baby born out of interest? Four kilos. Four kilos, okay. And... This was at a little bit more as well. It was like 40 plus nine or 40. Yeah, 40 plus nine. Yeah. Yeah. And how did you feel after that experience, after that? Yeah, I think. So I'm by nature a very positive, see the positives in things sort of person. So I just took it in my stride. I was like, I did everything I could. I waited as long as I could and I had a C-section and so be it. My baby's healthy. I am healthy. I touch wood have recovered really well physically from cesarean sections. It's never affected my breastfeeding or my bonding with my baby. So I was just like, cool. And I remember actually feeling a little bit of relief because I thought that meant I didn't have to go on the VBAC journey again. I thought, God, thank God, because I knew I wanted another child. I was like, sweet. Next time I'm having a maternal assisted C-section done. I was like, I'm going to have a C-section. We're going to have it my way. I'm going to pull my baby out on my own. And so I actually felt a little bit of relief that I didn't have to go through that VBAC roller coaster journey again because the emotional up, down, up, down, am I doing it? Am I not doing it? It was just really taxing. So yeah, there was a little bit of relief. That only happened at the end, didn't it, Laura? Or was that happening throughout the pregnancy? Just right at the end or? Yeah, mostly right at the end. Yeah. yeah. But I think throughout the pregnancy, I always wanted the VBAC, but it was just always a bit of a roller coaster of, am I going to get my VBAC or am I not? Am I doing all the right things to make sure I get it? It was just really taxing trying to do all the things to put me like in the most successful position possible. I just found it a lot. Whereas the thought of going in for a maternal assisted C-section third time round was like, oh, I don't have to do anything. Yeah. Walk in, it's done. I just don't have to think about my options. Mm. Absolutely. So you, we already know you had a 20 month gap between your third one and your second one. <laughs> yeah. times, And we knew that you wanted to have a third baby. So you are going in thinking I'm going to have a maternal cesarean delivered baby this time. Yeah. So what happened there? Okay. So I yep, had a 20 month gap again. So I fell pregnant around that 11 month mark. I was in a different place, like I'd mentioned, and I wasn't willing to drive an hour and a half for all my appointments and all of that. I was like, this is, that's too much. I've got two young kids now. So I looked for someone more local to me. I went with the private OB again, because that's all I'd ever known. And obviously I wanted to have a maternal assisted C-section. So I was like, that just seems like the best path to go. So I went with some recommendations from friends and colleagues. He was a lovely guy and we sat down, we spoke about having a maternal assisted C-section and he was like, oh, I've never done one before, but I'm open to it. We could definitely work on this together. He told me about his concerns, but he was also like super willing to use me as his first trial run. So he was really open to that. So I think I saw him twice and there was just something stirring in me that was like, Laura, this is just not the track for you. This is just Previous to that, I don't think I'd ever really been truly in touch with my intuition. I had just always overridden it with like 
my people pleasing, good girl, just do the right thing, don't rock the boat sort of mentality. And it was just, I would rather die than tell someone, no, I don't like that. I want to do it a different way. I just hated confrontation, hated conflict and didn't know how to communicate my needs very clearly. So I remember one night just sitting with my husband and we were just talking about health, I think, and just, I can't remember, something about health. And I just was about to go to bed and then just something in me was like, share this with him, Laura. And I just said, you know what? I'm feeling really funny about going in for a C-section again. And he was like, okay. I said, I just feel like I'm this young, fit, healthy woman. There is nothing wrong with me. Aside from having had two previous C-sections, it just feels really wrong to just have this perfect, healthy pregnancy and just walk into surgery and my baby comes out. It just, there's something that feels really out of alignment for me. And his eyes lit up and he, I didn't want to say anything, but I am totally there to support you. He goes, I didn't want to like make you feel any which way I wanted you to pick this journey he said but it feels really wrong for me too for you to just yeah and so I was like okay what the hell does that mean I don't even know what to do where to start and so begun quite a big learning journey where I didn't even know who to call what to book in for like who would I see so I actually called a doula oh no sorry I tried to book in with a birth center to have a VBAC after two cesareans. And I was about 10 weeks by then. They're really booked out. And so they eventually called me back and were like, A, we're really booked out. We can't fit you in. But B, we actually can't take on a VBAC too in a birth center. And I was like, oh, great. So this was the first bit of me butting up against the system. And I was like, okay, what do I do? I, I don't really want to, I don't want to have a C-section. So what's my options? And so they gave me the number of a doula who ended up being like my saving grace. And I got on the phone pretty much straight away and called her and was like, this is my situation. What do I do? And she just walked me through. You could have this birth. 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 And there was like so many more options than I even realized. And ironically, I think back and she mentioned at the end, you can have a free birth. And I laughed and I said, I would never do that. Little did she know the universe had other plans for me. And I was like, this was my mission now. I was like, I am having a VBAC. And then at that point, I think I spoke to my obstetrician just because I knew the answer. I knew what the answer would be, but I wanted to clarify it. I just said, look, I actually think I really want to have a VBAC. What are your thoughts on that? And he was just flat out, no, I won't support that. And I was like, sweet. I genuinely was so thankful he said that because that meant that I could just go, sweet. Well, he's not an option for me because if he had said, oh, yeah, sure, we can support you, Laura. But really, he was like tolerant slash not supportive. And then we got to 39 weeks and he was like, nah, need a C-section. That would have just totally been a different story. So I'm really glad that he was like, nope, not doing it. So then I was like, how am I going to do this? I need to find a private midwife. So I had to call. I felt like I called the whole state. (laughs) I was on the phone to so many midwives. I eventually found someone who was two hours away from me who was willing to take on my care. And I was like, what? Like I remember her saying that and I was like, no way. I also remember her saying, well done for following your intuition. And I could have cried because that was the first time anyone had, apart from like my husband, any professional had told me that was like a really important thing was to honor my intuition. I was like, ah, the feeling of having a woman as well in the space was so different. And I just felt so held. And I was like, yes, this is so right for me. This is so in alignment. This feels so good. I feel so supported so in alignment. This is great. 
honestly, logistically, having a midwife two hours away was not easy. There was a lot of driving back and forward, weird coordination, trying to meet up. And now also because of being a VBAC too, you have this flashing neon sign above your head that says high risk, high risk. And so there was a lot of paperwork I had to do with my midwife to tick all the boxes to say that essentially we are being safe about this and we're ticking all the boxes and we're doing all the things because we didn't want to risk her registration because that's a really big thing with private midwives is they can get really hammered from like a regulatory body point of view if they're not doing quote unquote the right thing. So we did all the right things, right? Like we literally did excessive paperwork and discussions and agreements and contracts. And I went to the public hospital to have a discussion with the obstetrician to tick the box to say, I understand all the risk. I'm fully informed about my decision to have a home birth, all of that. Backtracking slightly, I also had a lot of troubles even just getting a referral to this midwife because you need a GP to sign off on that and a GP wouldn't. And that was just the whole thing again. So I was butting up against all these resistances and I was getting really angry. I was like, I am a smart, intelligent woman. I know the risks. I know the resources. I have researched this. I'm a physio. Like I know how to research, research. And nobody is like listening to me. Everyone's just saying, nope, you're a VBAC too. So therefore X, Y, and Z. And I was like, this is wrong. Like I am choosing this. I'm not going to sue you if something goes wrong. This is what I want. I just want the care to come with it. Like I just, I want someone to look after me and I'm fully responsible for all these choices that I make, but I just kept butting up against the system and it was really frustrating to me. Have a long story short, I had a great pregnancy again, all of the things. I was really tapped in with my intuition this time. I was really going on a big personal development journey of learning to listen to myself and lean into what feels right and what doesn't feel right. But And from the sound of it, advocate for yourself and ask for what you want, even when they said no. Correct. And they you were obviously really- found someone. Yeah. So I found um, this, the midwife I found was amazing and she really helped me feel confident in myself. So that story I told you earlier about feeling like the lightning crutch was a bad thing. Mm. My baby wasn't engaging, probably couldn't get its head down. She actually said to me when I told her about the lightning crutch, she said, Laura, that's a beautiful thing. That means your baby's nuzzling down. It's getting itself ready. And I was like, whoa, that completely flipped the script for me. I started to trust my body. I started to know that my body was fully capable of this and that it wasn't broken. And I had to work on all those beliefs in this third pregnancy and birth. And yes, it was all these micro steps. It's like the universe. To go from where I started that pregnancy to where I ended that pregnancy, I would never have chosen that. So it was like the (laughs) universe just kept putting little crumbs along the way to say, you need to keep choosing this, Laura, because they knew that it was too big of a step for me to do that on my own. But it's just these little crumbs. I just kept going, that feels right. That feels right. And every time I went with something that felt right, I just felt amazing. I felt so good. Whereas when I went and abandoned myself and went with something that felt wrong, it felt disgusting. And I just started to understand my yeses and my noes. And so, yeah, pregnancy was great. No problems. The main thing we were thinking about is like, where am I going to give birth? So we had decided that I would give birth at an Airbnb close to the hospital because I was half an hour drive from the hospital. And my midwife felt nervous about, again, it probably was mostly about her registration. She felt nervous about, she wanted to be closer to the hospital so that we were doing all the right things. And I was like, yeah, sweet, whatever. As long as I get a home birth, because I had decided if I'm going to have a vaginal birth, I want it to be outside of the hospital. I either want a C-section in the hospital or I want a vaginal birth at home. I did not want a vaginal birth in the hospital because I just think I knew that it wouldn't be the vaginal birth I wanted. It wouldn't be how I wanted it. So 
Eventually, there was a lot of pressure. I'll summarize it because you don't need to know all the details, I guess, but there was a lot of pressure on my midwife. There was a lot of like top-down pressure. And eventually, I decided that Airbnb was not going to work for me. That just did not feel like a right decision. I'd started to trust my intuition better by then. And I just knew that the thought of transferring to an Airbnb five minutes from the hospital just felt unnecessary because I didn't feel worried about being half an hour from the hospital. And so I said to her, look, that's actually not going to work for me anymore. And in in the end, she couldn't take on my care because it was just too much of a risk to her registration, which I totally understand because at the end of the day, she wants to keep working in this field. And if she risks it on my birth and she gets deregistered, then, you know, that's a real shame to everybody else that could have been in the home birth support from her. No, I was without a midwife at like 35 weeks pregnant. This happened at 35 weeks pregnant. You've decided, no, I don't feel okay with having the B&B. You have a doula. Do you still have your doula? I, so yeah, my doula, legend, she was there the whole time. You've got your doula. Yeah. So how on earth did you not have a meltdown and freak out at this point in time? Because I think I did have a mild freak out, okay. but you know what? It was this really deep sense of knowing as well. I think this is the exact journey I meant to go on. So it wasn't a freak out like it would have been in the past because I think I tapped into myself so much by then. I trusted myself so much. I trusted the universe, whatever you want to call it, that I just remember having this moment of this is how it was always meant to be, wasn't it? (laughs) I always had a little giggle of, ah, I just, can you imagine Laura, the maternal assisted C-section Laura is without a midwife. And so there I was and I was like, okay, we're doing this. There was no part of me that wanted to change it in any way. I was like, no, I'm birthing at home. I'm birthing with my husband. I'm birthing with my doula. And that's just how it has to be. I wasn't, I didn't even care to go find another midwife or try and scramble to get support and care because I think I'd just gotten to the point where I was like, no, I've got this. I know I've got this. I trust that everything is going to be okay. And yeah, I just had this real deep peace, to be honest about it all. And your doula, she, like she'd spoken about free birth being an option. So she was somebody that was confident attending a free birth as well. Yeah. So again, I feel very fortunate with this because I know not all doulas do go to free births or feel confident with free births, but my doula had attended lots and lots of free births, but also lots of VVAC2 free births. So I felt extra confident. I was like, she has seen this. Like she's such a wise woman. You had her as your team. That's really good. And probably gave you a little bit more confidence to bag out this. 100%. It's really great to hear that change in you from obviously your first pregnancy and birth right through to where you're at 35 weeks and Mm. the micro changes, as you said, when it is, it's little micro changes that happened and got you. And I do love that as well, that if you knew where you were going to go and the work that you would have to do, quite often you wouldn't. Why would anyone choose to take a hard path, right? But the universe just sometimes knows that this is how we have to get there. And so I love that. Yeah. It couldn't have been more perfect. I would never have chosen that path for myself. In fact, I was really judgmental about, I thought free birth was irresponsible and like dangerous. And I had all these judgments Mm. until I landed myself in a spot where I was like, (laughs) I'm in a free birth and I'm not irresponsible and I'm not dangerous. I'm actually really well educated and intelligent and a strong woman. And this is just the position that I'm put in. And this is truly the position I would choose as well. This is the position I feel most confident. This is the Mm. safest way I feel I could birth my baby. And so, yeah, it's wild. (laughs) You would never have (laughs) predicted it. 
And so that pregnancy, I had no anxieties around going overdue because no one was putting me on a clock. There was no like pressure to like, oh, but if you don't have a baby by this day, I was like, I can go and be as pregnant for as long as I want because nobody is following me up on this. I am a free agent. I can do what I want. And that was so beautiful to end my pregnancy, not being worried about due dates. I was actually listening to a lot of podcasts and whatnot around people going overdue, like 43 weeks overdue. So I just felt like I had this awesome buffer of trust where I was like, sweet, I know people have given birth at 43 weeks. Perfect. Let's just deal with it if I get to 43 weeks and then I'll reassess. And it was always just a constant, like, am I doing well? Check in daily. Am I good? Am I worried? No, carry on. Just do pregnancy. So I eventually went into labor just before 42 weeks. So I gave birth pretty much at 42 weeks. So I started with contractions, like mild contractions, very similar to what I was with my second, except this time I knew that, sweet, this could go on for a while. So I'm not going to make it a thing. I'm not going to make a story out of, oh my God, baby's going to come tomorrow. This could go on for days. And I think I told myself, I'm going to have a 48 hour labor at 42 weeks because I wanted to just put my mental state in This is an extreme example of what labor and gestation could look like so that I was never disappointed. Turns out I pretty much manifested that exact thing. But (laughs) a 48-hour labor, that's interesting. Mine was 12 hours and under and I'll be okay with that. That was my (laughs) Definitely setting yourself up for expectations to be failed there. But yeah, I just learned from my second, I was like, That was 24 hours of these pre-labor contractions and nothing had happened. So I was like, this is not going to be a short event. I just knew that it was going to be a while. It ended up being three days. I didn't sleep for three days. It was the most intense thing I've ever done. Yeah, I didn't eat or sleep for three days. And the nights were so long and I just kept laboring and laboring with my husband, TENS machine walking around on the football, like pull, bearing down on him, like squiggling around in bed, just trying to get comfortable. The blinds were shut for three days straight. I did a lot of swearing. I did a lot of moaning and groaning and shouting. And I said many a times, please just take me to the hospital. I've done all I need to do. Just give me a C-section now. Or just please just put me out of my misery. I've done it. I've proven to myself I can do this. I don't need to do anymore. I was just Were you saying that out loud to your team? Yeah. Yeah. And what were they saying? And what did you prep them before to respond in that situation? So we had done Rhea Dempsey's birth course. So my husband and I were very clued up to the crises. And my doula had told me. Yeah, that really work. (laughs) Amazing. And my doula had told me and she had like epic home birth. She had told me that she at some stage in her labor begged to go to the hospital and have a C-section. So I found that really inspiring because I was like, sweet. That doesn't mean I'm like actually want to do it. It's just me saying I'm having a hard time and you don't have to take it seriously. So every time I said it, it was just my husband for the most part. My doula didn't come until the very end. Every time I said it, my husband just honestly didn't pay it much attention. He didn't dismiss me, but he would just be like, you're doing really well. You're doing really well. And I was like, I don't feel like I'm doing well. <laughs> or he'd be like, you're so strong. And I'm like, I feel strong. <laughs> And and I knew that if he had said to me, okay, cool, do you want me to call the ambulance, Laura? I would have said, no, no, just give me like another six hours. So I think I knew I wasn't actually at breaking point. I think I knew that I just wanted to whinge. I just wanted to say, this Mm. is really freaking hard. This is so hard. And I want it to end or at least want to know when is the end date so I can like mentally prep myself. Like I say, if I'm going to go for a run, 
I don't go for a run being like, oh, I'll just see how I feel. I'm like, I'm doing three Ks and I don't do anything over three Ks. I stop dead on three Ks because I have mentally prepped myself to do three Ks. So I just wanted someone to say, right, by Sunday morning, you're going to have a baby. And I would have been like, sweet, okay, I can get through to then. I just found the unknown so hard to manage for me. And so this went on and on. And eventually it got to the Sunday morning. So this was, I'd started Thursday night contracting. Sunday morning, called my doula and was just like, Laura, like my husband was talking about this. I was like, Laura's having a really hard time. I think she probably could do with some more support. So she's sweet. I'm at the markets. Just take my groceries home. I'll come on over. And it had been really beautiful just being me and my husband for the couple of days prior because it was really intimate. I didn't actually think I would have wanted anyone in my space then because it was a long time. And I also didn't want the disappointment of someone coming and then leaving. I think I wasn't ready for someone to leave me and be like, oh, you're going to keep going. I was like, if you're going to come, you're going to come to finish this thing off. (laughs) So I think I'd been holding off having her there until it was when I really needed her there. So she came at say 10 o'clock in the morning and I was really in a world of pain. I was struggling. She's like, we need to change it up. We just need to do something different. So she said, why don't you try straddling the toilet backwards? I did that. It was the worst thing I could have ever possibly did. I sat straight up. I was like, no way. I cannot do that. I tried a shower, but the shower didn't really work. So she said, let's just set up the birth pool. And I was like, oh, but is it too early? Like, I'm not going to give birth, I'm sure, anytime soon. And she's like, just do it. And worst case, it gets cold. We can fill it up again. Like, it's fine. And that was the best thing we could have done. I got in that warm water and I finally got like a micro part of relief. I think in the end, my daughter was posterior because all I was having was intense back pain. I wasn't getting, for those two and a half days, I wasn't getting the usual like abdominal cramping. I was getting like, someone is stabbing me in the back. I cannot move my back. Every time I go to contraction, I thought I'd be able to like flex forward and like rock and everything, but I had to be bolt upright. It was the most intense pain I'd ever experienced. It wasn't at all what I expected. It was all in my back. It was full on. And so I imagine she was posterior given long labor and back pain. And I got in the pool. early pushing or anything at this point or nothing? No, no pushing at all. So lots of back pain and contractions. All just back pain. Yeah. Or, and I think a little bit of ab pain, but I was starting to get no relief in between contractions. I'd been contracting like every, I think, three to five minutes for days now. Like I'd had Weren't no break. big breaks in between yeah. to let your body have a sleep or anything like that, which sometimes yeah. happens in posterior or longer labors. Yeah. No sleep, no break, just consistent back. Yeah, fairly back-to-back contractions for days. I was spent. I was so exhausted. So got in the pool, felt like I got mild relief, but contractions were still coming as fast as they had. We just kept doing our thing. My doula was there. My husband was there. And then at some stage, I just stood bolt upright. And this is the power of the body's intuition, that dance with your baby, right? I just stood bolt upright and I just bared down with all my might. I just had this overwhelming I need to bear down. And I just started like roaring this baby out. I was bearing down like as much as I couldn't imagine the force that I was bearing down with. It was enormous. I was so strong and I just kept bearing down. And that was the start of my pushing. And I think pushing went for 45 minutes. I just timed that by my iPhone photos (laughs) and gave birth in the birth pool. And I was like in disbelief, I think. I was like amazed, relieved in disbelief. (laughs) I actually had a baby. Like I've got a video of me holding her and I just kept saying, 
oh my God, I did it. I did it. Oh my God, I did it. She's here. She's here. Oh my God, I love you so much. And oh my God, I always get really emotional when I think about that moment because it's just, I just think after having had the two C-sections, I just don't think I could do it. And I did it. And I was like, yes. And you went through three days of work to get her to. You were a powerful, strong woman to birth your baby. Thank you. So I'm tearing up. I'm just so happy for you. And it was a journey. <laughs> yeah, like I've got these visualizations of you. Obviously, I wasn't there, but just listening. Stories are so powerful, aren't they? Yeah. So, so beautiful. Yeah. So, yeah, it was just in this oxytocin love bubble. And yeah, it was the best thing ever. Like it did change slightly. Like I was bleeding quite a bit. My placenta came out fine. That was all fine. I ended up having quite a significant tear internally in the vagina from where her hand must have scraped, I think. So I did end up transferring to hospital for a tear repair. But I feel like I don't even like telling that part of the story because it was just so beautiful to end in the pool. And that part was like, it wasn't great. It also wasn't bad. It just was what it was. And I think I felt it was almost like this full circle moment of I'm back here, but I've done what I wanted to do. So I'm back here, but I'm a different person. I've birthed my baby the way I want it. So whatever, repair me. I don't care because I've done exactly what I needed to do. So it was just, it was a really beautiful full circle moment of coming back to the hospital and being like, I'm at peace with this. It's okay. And I don't want to have my baby here. That's for sure. (laughs) I'm so glad I have my baby at home. But it was just, yeah, it was quite a peaceful ending. So yeah, it was amazing. It was hard. It was challenging. But I genuinely, I'm like, I feel like a different person since this birth. It's totally changed me. So yeah. Third baby's 18 months old now. Yes. So how are you feeling about the whole experience now? How did you heal and how are you feeling now about your free birth and what you think about free birth and that sort of thing and home birth and yeah. I think it's changed so much about how, like I mentioned to you earlier, I had a lot of judgment around free birth initially because I was like, it's this and it's that and, you know, what society had told me free birth was. And now I just look at people so much compassion. I'm like, you are amazing because the chances are you don't feel supported anywhere else. And that's why you've gone down this path. And so props to you for being able to choose that. I just think I've come to this really peaceful place where I say it all the time, but like you do you is my motto for everything. So I think I've just removed a lot of judgment around all types of birth. If you want to have a C-section, that's awesome. You do that. If you want to have a free birth, that's awesome. You do that. What I really care about is that women feel empowered in their birth. And you can have an empowered, positive C-section. Absolutely, you can. You can ask all the right questions, be like the captain of your ship and have a C-section. Absolutely. And you can do that and anywhere on the scale. I think just the most important thing that women feel supported, they feel seen, they feel listened to. We know that birth trauma is because women don't feel seen, soothed or supported. That's such a key element of birth is that you just need to have the right support team around. You need to trust yourself. There's so much fear around birth. And I think I just, I feel really passionate about helping women regardless of what they choose. Like, I think I've probably come to acknowledge, I like, don't get me wrong. I'm a huge home birth advocate. I'm like, if you are healthy and trust yourself and you've done all the work, home birth is such a good option. But I also think that hospital birth suits people really well as well, depending on your personality and your majority your of women safety. are. I think a majority of women are hospital birth. Well, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And look, it would be great if home birth was more publicly funded and all of those things more available to women. But I think my passion is just regardless of where you birth or even the mode of delivery, 
I think the most important thing is that women feel safe, seen and soothed. I just feel like that's what it's all boiled down to me. Yeah. That's how people should feel in life, isn't it? Yeah. treated and the, I just like this idyllic world where we all treat each other nice like just the other day right I almost ran this guy over at the crossing <laughs> oh, God. I know my husband's sitting next to me so I've turned the corner there was no one about to cross but this lady came out on my street and I had to stop for her because she had a big car and she wasn't driving very good so I had to stop so she could turn the corner anyway I've gone across the crossing and I can't see this man who's about to cross because my husband's sitting there And this guy comes over and he's swearing and yelling at me because he's just had the life. Naturally, when you cross the road, I usually look for eye contact, make sure the driver sees me because most of the time they're going to run you down anyways. But anyways, I looked at him and I said, I'm really sorry. Like it was an accident. I'm really sorry. I hope you have a wonderful day. And then he went, he was, he turned around and he stopped swearing and abusing me. And he just had the biggest smile on his face and he was like, a bit embarrassed. Oh, okay, thanks. Okay, bye. And then off he as if he was like skipping along. <laughs> and I thought like just that little bit of like me responding in kindness really like I don't usually do that. So that was like an off thing for me. Normally I'd be like back. It doesn't happen often. But I thought if we speak to each other lovely and kindly and if more people cared about other people and where they were, we would yeah. have so many better things working because while we may not have the skills, we will develop the skills or we will start asking different questions because we're actually connecting and wanting to know rather than it, it would mean more to us, wouldn't it? Rather than some of these other things that are mechanical and computerized and statistics and all these other things that we really put it as an important thing these days. I agree. I have a very similar passion to you. And I think There are so many people working in this environment, making huge change. So thank you for being one of them, the women guiding the way, sharing your story. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. It's so nice to reflect on, yeah, all the changes in myself. Like I think you can get so used to the newest version of you, but it's really cool to see where you've come from and to think back to Laura having my first and second child and yeah, how different I feel now and how much more free I feel and how much more Laura I feel. And it's, yeah, it's really cool to reflect. So thank you. Yes. Thank you very much for sharing. Thank you. Hey ladies, I really hope that you loved hearing my journey from five years ago to now, three children three wildly different birth experiences. I hope it gave you a really good insight, especially if you're new here, into who Laura is and who was Laura back then and what is the transformation that I've been on, which has been catalyzed by these birth experiences because I swear I have changed so much every time I've birthed a baby and I'm sure you can resonate with that too. So if you love this episode, please jump on over to at Physio Laura and let me know what you loved about it and if you have any follow-up questions And if you'd love to connect with Ashley, you can find her on Instagram at Ashley L. Winning. And obviously, if you want to listen to the podcast, it is the VBAC Home Birth Stories podcast. So if you're also looking at doing a VBAC Home Birth, there is lots and lots of different stories and different experiences that women have walked through. So definitely go and check that out. I'll put it all in the show notes, but make sure you subscribe to the Pregnancy with Physio Laura podcast because we have an amazing series coming up, ladies. I hope wherever you are right now in the world, you've got a smile on your face and you are feeling good and I will see you all next week. Bye.